All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the epistle to the Colossians. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter one, basically, as Paul was opening his letter to the Colossians, we saw the salutation of Paul with the introduction of himself. We saw uh, the recipients of the letter to the Gentiles, the Colossians. And we also saw how Paul was uh, uh, trying to encourage them to hold fast to the gospel that was preached to them by Epaphras. Now, even though Paul did not say that in those direct words, and if you watch the last video and also watch the introduction that I did to the epistle to the Colossians, but you saw all of these inferences that Paul was given as he was speaking to the Colossians about the gospel that Epaphras had given them, and again, one of the purposes that I did of the last video, that they would have the true knowledge and understanding of the, of the truth of Christ, the wisdom of God, so that it would influence and affect their lives, so that they would live lives that are literally pleasing to God, and that they would be strengthened to uh continue to persevere in the truth of the doctrines that they have been taught by Epaphras. And so this was those inferences and implications that we saw in the introductory material of chapter one of which Paul was trying to give. Again, why? Because certain men were trying, these, these were the Judaizers. And again, when I speak of the Judaizers, we're not speaking from the sense of them simply being ethnic Jews. No, no. But because of the heretical doctrines that they were trying to introduce to these Gentile Christians such. And we'll talk about all of that internally as we begin to deal with all of this, these particular scriptures uh, uh, that pertain to those sections. But we see that the introduction of. Uh, uh, in introductory factions of uh, what they were trying to do with talking about the keeping of the law of Moses, the worshiping of angels and certain other Jewish traditions that they were trying to introduce to these Gentiles to make them more quote unquote complete in Christ Jesus. And most of all to the, which we are about to get into today, uh, the, the false teachings concerning the person of Christ but so that's what basically the inference and the great implications that we can see in the text that Paul was bringing about as he is going to touch on almost all of these particular issues later on in the letter in some direct or indirect way or another. But anyway, so he continued on to talk about that great salvation that God has given to us. In his son, Christ Jesus, that is redemption and the forgiveness of sin and how that God through Christ Jesus has transferred us out of darkness of sin into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus into the kingdom of his dear son, that plan of salvation. So Paul is beginning to talk more so, and this is where we are today to talk about the person of Jesus and in this glorious person of Jesus, 
here Paul begins to speak about uh, the two natures, the dual nature. We'll get into all of that, so let me not even be premature, especially now in the introductory faction, because it's going to be, I won't say difficult, but I will say challenging enough as we deal with the text itself. Okay, but anyway, so he continues on to talk about the person of Jesus. All right, so we're going to get into verse number 15 now. I don't know how far we're going to be able to get along uh, in the text. To be honest with you, I don't think that we're going to get too far in it. Maybe of just a few verses within itself so that the video won't be too boringly long. We don't want to bore you out. But I do want to make you uh, keenly aware of what the Apostle Paul, what God is saying in Scripture especially as it pertains to the person of Jesus himself, who is our all in all. Without him, there is nothing. And this is what Paul himself is going to talk about. And it even amazes me. I've read where some so-called biblical scholars want to say that Paul has never said that Jesus was God and divine, which is the most ridiculous thing that I've heard in my life. I've done a complete study of Paul's epistle to the Philippians, Check out this, that particular study within itself, but uh, more so chapter two, where Paul talks about the glory of the exalted Jesus and the divine nature of Jesus. All right. And even now, so when Paul is going to talk about that divine nature, but anyway, we don't want to digress because this is going to be challenging enough. And you know what, guys? I'm going to take my time because I always have in my back of my mind, I want to go through so much material per video in such an allotted amount of time. But sometimes that could kind of rob you of a greater depth of understanding. So I'm going to kick all that out right now. And we're going to just get into the text itself and we're going to explore the text. And I'm going to be patient in my own, with my own self in the teaching and however the spirit of the Lord leads in this teaching and what I believe that God is going to allow me to show you. I'm just going to show it to you. Okay. And of course, uh, in order to get the greater depth of understanding, it will become necessary for us to look at the Greek text behind uh, our English text today. All right. So let's just simply get into what the apostle Paul is trying to say. And of course, as always, we're going to stay into uh the context, always stay in context to what the Bible is trying to say. Talking about the person of Jesus, the salvation that God has accomplished through him. Now we get to verse number 15. What about Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And the Greek, ha has esteen a con to theu to Iaroto. Iaroto. Sometimes my pronunciation is awful. But nevertheless, what? Has esteen. Who is? Actually, that's what the Greek text says. Who is a con image of God to Iaroto, the invisible. And that's why we, we translate it. He is the image of the invisible God. So what does it mean? God, the father by nature, God, the father by nature is invisible. You cannot see God, but Jesus is the physical, the physical 
manifestation. He is the, phys the physical, visible expression of God whom you cannot see bearing the very image and nature of God himself. In other words, this is a heavy duty statement. God, the father, we understand him to be simply God, but this God, our God is invisible. Jesus himself is God, the God who by nature is invisible, but Jesus is God made visible. That's why we call him the physical expression of God. And it implies, it is implying the statement of all of the nature and all of the being of God. And this is what we see in Philippians chapter two is expressed in Jesus. And this is what Paul is going to talk about later on in Colossian in bodily form that Jesus literally is God manifested in the flesh. Okay. And then he calls him the firstborn of all creation. Prototikos passes tiseos. And that is when he uses the term prototikos, the firstborn, it does not mean that Jesus himself is a part of creation. He is using the term prototikos as preeminence the one who is above all creation. So Jesus is not a, a part of the creation because we're going to, as we get into the very language of the next few verses, you're going to see that Jesus is the creator of creation. And just think about it. And by nature, if Jesus is the creator of creation, he himself cannot be a part of the created universe. He is the creator. And this we also see expressed in John chapter one. And we also understand uh, how creation itself came into being, not so much as the machinations of how creation came into being, but how the participation of the fullness of God God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit, how the fullness of the three persons of the one being of God participated in the creation of all things. OK, I don't want to get too much and digress into all of that. So let me just simply go back to the text here. So when it calls Jesus the prototikos, uh, the firstborn, it is just giving Jesus the place of being greater than creation itself. And the reason why he will simply be greater than creation itself, following verses, because he made it. <laughs> the, the one who makes something is always greater than the thing to the which that was made. Okay, so again, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the physical manifestation of the very nature of God. Jesus 
is God in the flesh. He is what? Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn does not mean that Jesus had a point of time that he was created. And it is not. It is not speaking of Jesus's birth in Mary. Why? Because if we're speaking of creation language, Mary herself was not born at the beginning of all things. So not talking about Jesus' physical birth. It is not talking about Jesus himself being a part, being created. And again, let me say this, not again, but let me say this. This goes against the false doctrinal teachings of the Jehovah's Witness of saying that Jesus is some type of Michael the Archangel or even more so, Jesus is a created being. And they try to take this language and shift it to say, how you see that Jesus is the firstborn, that Jesus was the first one to be created in creation. That is to say that when God began his creation, this is the false doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses, that when God began his creation, the first thing that he created was Jesus, Michael, the archangel referencing here as Jesus. Jesus was the first thing that was created. And then after Jesus was created, God through Michael, the archangel, namely Jesus, God through Jesus began to create all things. And so thus they try to say that Jesus created all things after he himself was created. And this, this is what they try to do with this part of the text. And this is not what the word prototakos is meaning. The whole, and, and as you work through the Greek text in this particular section, you will see that the idea of the language is speaking of preeminence, being greater than, having greater glorious, uh, glory than. It is not talking about Jesus being a part of creation and to be a part of creation means you yourself were created. But the idea of the language that Paul is using is Jesus is greater than anything in creation. And as the rest of the text in these contexts, uh, uh, context, it will be he's greater than anything in creation because he created all things. But anyway, uh, so we've dealt with that. The one who is the image of God, Jesus is God in the flesh, bearing the very image of God himself and Jesus being glorious, uh, more glorified than all of creation. 15, for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, so the language again is all encompassing, all encompassing concerning Jesus. How glorious is Jesus? And that's why, and you'll see certain headings in the Bible, the incomparable Christ. And this is so true. 
Jesus is beyond. He is unthinkable as God the Father is beyond imagination, beyond comprehension. So is Jesus. Why? He is the glorious creator himself. For by him, what? All things were created. Therefore, if Jesus was a created being, that would mean he would have to create himself. Why? By him, what was created? Not some things, not at a certain point, the rest of things. No, Jesus created all things. This exempts Jesus as being a part of creation. Jesus cannot be a created being. Why? Because he created all things. And notice the exhaustive language that the apostle Paul is using. What do I mean? What, what was created by Jesus? Whether things in heaven or on things in the heavens and on the earth. And this is the all encompassing language. Heaven and earth is basically what we consider. It kind of takes you back. The Hebrew mindset to Genesis uh, 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, in Hebrew, there is no world. There is no singular word for universe. So they use what is called a marism. Marism. The marism is the heavens and the earth. This this means the universe. This means everything. Okay. And this is the language here that Paul is employing. What? That by him, that is by Christ Jesus, what was created? All things. And thus, by the creation of all things, this exempts Jesus from being a created being himself. Why? It is showing all of created universe is by him. So therefore, he cannot be a part of the created universe. He is, Jesus is the self-existing God who existed from eternity past. He has no beginning and no ending. Jesus is the one who was, who is, and is to be eternal God. Okay. But anyway, so the language here is all encompassing in that he talks about what things that are visible, whether you things that you can see or invisible things that you cannot see. So whether you can see these things or whether you cannot see these things, Jesus created them. And then he talks about uh, the authorities of the universe, the authorities in creation itself. And when we speak of authorities, we speak of the angelic dominions, angelic dominions, and all of these things even include the authorities that are given to mankind himself. So it doesn't matter what the dominion is. It doesn't matter what the rule is, what the thrones are, what the authorities are, whether the authorities are a spiritual authorities. That's when we speak of the angelic authorities, 
that these are things that we also cannot see. These are a part of the unseen authoritative dominions and authoritative creatures that are there. Uh, unseen things or even the things that we can see even in the dominion of men. And my mind, I just, just quickly went to the book of Daniel, the kingdoms of man, all of these things, thrones, dominions, and powers visible and invisible were created by Jesus. He is the God who creates and establishes all rule, all authorities, all kingdoms. And thus he says at the very end of that statement, what all things have been created through him and for him. Now, let me see if I want to look at that statement in the Greek. Yeah, it, 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 it speaks for himself. It's a beautiful statement. No, we don't, we won't, we won't go into the Greek. Everything, if it exists in this universe, it was created by Jesus. And I, I noticed that it was created through him and for him. Notice the use of the prepositions that we have that relate to Jesus with respect to Jesus being the creator. Notice at the very beginning, verse number 16, for by him, all things were created. And notice as we get to the very end of that statement, all things have been created through him and for him. So Paul, and I don't want to say exhaust the prepositional usage, but he uses this in such a dynamic way to speak of Jesus who made all things. And Paul says, for by him, Jesus made all things. How were all things, the created universe made? Notice through him. That is, again, it takes you back to the participation of the three persons of God, of the one God, the three persons of the one God, how they were involved in creation, how that God, and you see this same language being employed by the writer of John's gospel, that is John the apostle, how when John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, where was God, and by him all things were made, and through him all these things were made. That is, you can see the participation uh, 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 in creation itself, the father's participation in creation, the one who uh, 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 kind of like superintends the whole process and Jesus, the activity, the one who is the doing of the process and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in that process that takes us all the way back to Genesis and the spirit of God hovered above the face of the earth. So the point is the language that Paul is using is almost in an exhaustive sense. And we see the participation 
of the son in creation. We see the singular unity of God in creation by the involvement of those three persons, God the Father. For by him, that is by Christ Jesus, Jesus as God in creation, through him, Jesus in his participation along with God, the father in creation. And then ultimately, and here's why I want to preach. I want to who and for him. And that's when I get an attitude. I get an attitude because what is it saying? That when all of this, Jesus not only created all of these things, Jesus, not only we see the participation along with God, the father, through him involved in creation. But ultimately, what? All of creation is for him. All of this stuff, everything belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus, the sovereign God of creation. All of us. Thus, boy, I got an attitude. Why? Because we always have a problem in obedience. We always have a problem with submission. We always have a problem with what God has to say, with how God has ordered his created universe. If God wants it to function a certain way, we always got a problem with that. How in the world is the creature going to have a problem with the creator? How can the creature talk back to the creator? You ain't got nothing to say about what God has done. Why? Because it belongs to him in the first place. And if Jesus wants to take all of creation like a piece of paper, ball it up and throw it in the garbage, what can you tell Jesus how to do with what belongs to him? That's why I got an attitude. Let everything do what the Lord tells it to do. Why? Because it's his. He made it. And he by right as the creator, he alone has a right to do what he wants to do with his stuff. And what is his stuff? Everything is his stuff. You are his Cattle on a thousand hills belong to Jesus, and that's just too small to even state, according to the very context of what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about all of creation. Okay, so I'm a, okay. I'm getting off my attitude trip. Let me get back to the text. But I want you guys to remember that the next time you have a problem with anything in the Bible. Well, I, I don't like this and I, and I don't like that. And I don't think I should have to do that. God didn't ask you, number one. He never asked you what you thought. Your mind is not big enough to come up with creation and to order creation itself. Leave that to God. And number two, since it belongs to God, you just do what God tells you to do. But he, okay, 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 stop. Going back, going back. So the whole point is the exaltive language that he uses concerning Jesus. And you can also see too. remember this. This is dealing with what we call the Colossian heresy. This is what I talked about in the introduction. 
how that certain of those false teachers were trying to say about Jesus. You know, we, we accept him, Jesus, as the Messiah, the, the one who should come in the flesh and, and the son of David, the, the king and all of that. But Jesus is not God. This is the first thing that Paul tore down to the ground. His point here is Jesus is God almighty. And if there is any time you need strengthening in your faith, strengthening in your mind about the heart, uh, in your heart and mind about the person of Jesus, you go back to this text. You go back to Philippians chapter two. You go back to the whole doggone gospel of John. You go back to these things and let it solidify and strengthen you in your faith concerning who Jesus really is. Okay. But it goes to what Paul was talking about, dealing with, we were talking about the Colossian heresy about the person of Jesus. He's not really God. And here Paul establishes a fundamental truth about the person of Jesus. He is God almighty, even the one who created the universe itself. Okay. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, let we got we got to look at this in our Greek text. Kautos estin pra ponton, that is, and he, and because that autos estin, there is a sense of emphatic emphaticness involved here, and Jesus Himself is what. He is propontone before all things. Again, as we were, we've already uh, 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 dealt with this, it is not talking about Jesus with respect to creation. That is, Jesus is the first creature made in creation. We've already dealt with that in the first point. But the sense of pra Pontone before all things is again giving the preeminence of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus. That is, if you look at all of the created universe, this does not even compare to Jesus. He is more glorious than all things. He is more preeminent than all things. He is before. Now, it also as the propontone. Listen, also too, uh, 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 not only does it speak of the preeminence of language too, but by the usage of that pra preposition, pra, it is a preposition of time. It is a temporal preposition. Okay. It is a temporal preposition. So when it says that Jesus is before all things, it is also speaking that Jesus existed in time before the created universe. And this just goes back to some of the harping that I was simply doing eternal God before the universe existed itself. Jesus existed. And it takes your mind to uh, the point that John was making in the very first statement of his gospel in the beginning in where 
that is in time past. John is not trying to give us a specific point in time. John is just simply taking us back to dateless time, dateless time before the existence of even time itself. What in the beginning was the word. The word existed in the beginning. And these verbs, and we don't want to go into John 1, it's in the imperfect tense. So that is Jesus was eternally existing. And this is the idea that Paul is trying to uh, say as well, that Jesus existed before all things. He is before all things. And then the dramatic point of the end of verse 17 and in him, all things hold together. Ka tapanta in and right there, guys, I just want to just lay down and die at the mic. In him, it is unfathomable searches of the glory of Jesus. Do you know what he just said? In Jesus, what? All things, and here's that verb, suneste came from suneste mean, which we translate held together. And it is a perfect tense verb. Now, the reason why I bring in the sense of uh, the tense of the verb, perfect tense, it speaks of something. The idea is something because the very language that Paul is using something that has eternally existed even in the past. It has always been this case. You got it? Always been the case. The perfect tense verb of sunestimi, sunestikane here. Jesus holds all things together. And what has Paul been talking about? We've been talking about the universe itself the order of the universe, the authorities of the universe, the powers of the universe, the, you, it's, it, none of us can understand that statement. None of us can completely comprehend the statement. How do you hold the universe together? Every element of the universe all the activities of the universe, the motion of the stars, the motion of the galaxies, the birth, the birth of the antelope, the, 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 the mating of ants. <laughs> what? Okay, let's go back to the text. But it is so glorious and powerful that it speaks of Jesus, our Lord, the one who became flesh, died on the cross. This God of glory, this God of power and majesty, whose wisdom and might cannot be explored with the imagination and the insect mind of a man. He goes beyond that. This Jesus whom we serve, who by him, all things are created through him. And in the end, he just said it and 
before him. He is before all things. And by him, all things are what? Sunestikane held together. The ordered universe. And one of the reasons why this always just makes me shout. I love it. 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 Because so many people struggle with Jesus' death on the cross. It was just his body that died. That body which was an offering given to God. That body which contained the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. When Jesus died, Jesus did not cease to be. Jesus' spirit Jesus's divine being was still there. Why? Had Jesus ceased to be, had Jesus died and was no more, notice what it says here. By Jesus, the universe, all things, not some things, whatever is going on in this world, whether things seen or things unseen, whatever is going on in the universe, the galaxies out there in their movement and however all of that stuff is done. If Jesus had ceased to be, the moment Jesus had ceased to be, if this is the case, the universe itself would have ceased to be the universe would have collapsed. All of creation would have been undone. Why? Because if in Jesus, verse number 17, if he holds all things together, and if when he died, he ceased to exist, the universe would have ceased to exist because it was only being held together by him. Thus, if he ceased to exist, you and I would not be here today talking about it. The glory of the person of Jesus. And this is the point I'm just simply making here uh, uh, that teaches us. Uh, and there's so much, so many other things that I can say about Jesus did not uh, cease to exist. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. And again, what did Jesus say to the father? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. He never ceased to exist. But anyway, let me go back because you'll talk about related and connected things forever and ever and ever. The beauty of this statement in talking about the glory of Jesus is how that the incomprehensible nature of Jesus is so beyond thinking that he holds by his very person, by his very being, Jesus, can I say it like this? Keeps the entire universe going and everything in the universe that operates in the manner that it operates, again, visible and invisible, these things operate in Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Magnificent. Okay. Uh, and with that, we'll stop right there. All right, guys.
Thanks for joining me in the exploration of those few verses concerning the person of Jesus. And what were we just talking about? We were really just talking about the divine nature of Jesus, because this is that section. Now, once we begin to get into the next section, we're going to also begin to talk about, according to scripture, the human nature of Jesus. That is, Jesus also uh, um, human being, the dual nature. He is both God and both man. He is God in infinite in, in infinite, he is the infinite, eternal God, but also at the same time, that same infinite God who is made flesh. And that will be a part of the next section that we'll begin to deal with. But anyway, thank you guys for joining me with that. And I pray that it has really been a blessing to you. This section always blesses my soul. And as I said to you earlier, if any, uh, because we always want as we explore and walk through the scripture, you always want to have a practical reason. That's what we use. The, that's what the, the meaning of the word practical means in this sense. Okay. How does this help me? How does this help me defend my faith? How does this help me to understand uh, what the Bible is trying to say and have the right understanding of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Is he what the Muslims say? He's just like a great prophet, truly one of the greatest prophets, but that's it. He is not God. Does the Bible teach that? These are one of the uh, uh, certain ones of the passages that bring about a right understanding of the glorious person of Jesus the divine nature of Jesus. Okay, we're not going to rehash all of that. So if this teaching has been a blessing to you, always hit the like button and subscribe to the channel so that the teachings can be propagated uh, on YouTube. And also, if it has been a blessing, uh, support this ministry. There's always a link in the description to show you how you can support this ministry. But anyway, I have enjoyed this teaching today and we look forward to coming to you next time with the continued teaching about the Lord our Messiah Jesus and what he has done coming into the flesh he is the head of the church our family Jesus the God who created the universe our God we thank you for that but anyway God bless you see you next time guys <music>